Hello and welcome again to the Shanka Ponsley podcast where the lovely Andrea Ferguson interviews me tonight supported by her big sister Kiana Ferguson. Hello. <laughs> yes. What do you have in mind for me? So today we're going to ask you a few questions about your upbringing, your adolescence, and how that played a role into shaping you to be the person that you are today, who is the owner of a healthcare marketing agency and who is living out his U.S. dream. That sounds fantastic. What questions do you have? How would people describe you as a young boy? As a young boy, I was always very reserved, kept to myself, and sort of lived in my own world. My mom was a single parent and had to go to work, and I just was on my own a lot. Not alone, but on my own. She had neighbors look after me when she was at work. But usually I was not with other kids and just did my thing. How would your family describe you? Like your cousins, your aunt, uncle, extended family maybe? They always said I was way too serious. They said I should start enjoying life a little bit. I was still young and I don't know what they necessarily meant by that. But it was true that I was a very serious child was never one to be silly. Like participating in shenanigans, getting in trouble, right. those kinds of things. Yeah. I think I always cared about having short hair, about having clothes that were not too crazy, not too colorful. And I remember them saying, you know, you need to loosen up a little bit and you'll see when you get older, you'll have long hair and crazy clothes and that never happened. So how about your teachers? How would they describe you? As a quiet student, very serious and a good student. I was always praised for being a good student. I won a lot of awards. Almost every year I won some kind of academic award because in Luxembourg they automatically submit everybody's results to like a national competition. You're not even, you don't have to participate, like to declare your participation. They just make you participate. And then when you have, when you're in the top like 100, I believe, they organize a nationwide ceremony where you're invited and uh, some government official hands you over an award and it comes with free books and um, gift cards for libraries and stuff like that. So I was several times, I was the best student in the French language, English language, and also in mathematics. Did you ever have that kind of external stimulus or motivation to do really good in academics? No, there were two parts to my academic journey as a child and adolescent. The first one was the first six years of primary school and I lived in a small village in the north of the country and that's where I was home a lot or with my neighbors and my mom was working and 
according to her during the first two years of that primary school time i was sometimes having learning difficulties i cannot remember that but she said when she worked full time she was way too much that would impact my outcomes and then she went part-time and got these neighbors to look after me and by the way that was those were awesome times because the neighbors were farmers and I was participating, helping on the farm with the tractors and the cows, milking the cows and doing all the chores with the pigs and the animals. After the first six years in, in Luxembourg, you go to high school and the high school is not necessarily within reasonable driving distance to where you live, not like here where mostly every city has its high school system in luxembourg it's more like regional where i lived i would have had to drive probably one to two hours uh, by bus to get to the high school which led me to want to go to a boarding school and i picked a boarding school in a village called Eschternach, which would have been probably between two and three hours drive time from where we lived so uh, on top of that, I wanted to be at a boarding school because I had read a lot of books that dealt with young, a group of young people having a lot of fun at boarding school. So I went to boarding school and pretty much after the, that, so for the seventh school year, if you will, I was from the seventh school year on i was at boarding school which we refer to as high school i understand that is divided up in middle school and high school here in the us but for us high school has uh, seven years and that's it and during those seven years i was basically under the supervision of educators at boarding school who had a lot more work taking care of my peers at boarding school because they were all troublemakers most of the boys were sent there because they were like difficult characters and the parents were overwhelmed. So this was not the case with us. So in other words, I was very self... Self-driven. Self-driven and also self-supervised um, because my mom <laughs> didn't get to see a single grade during those seven years because my educators at boarding school would sign sign the the grades and um yeah once a year i guess she saw the report card or once a trimester but um yeah and she didn't have to worry because i was just very very i had very high standards for myself your mother made a lot of sacrifices because she went from working full-time cutting that back to make sure she could stay home with you and that you could be all right academically and then when you and your self-determined self-driven self decided okay I want to go to boarding school it wasn't out of being a mischievous kid or anything like that and then you so you went to school and you were always even up to that point academically your performance was really high and you were a high achiever and uh, so I also remember you having stories about you, you talk about farming as well. So there was a lot of life experience you got out of that. And then having her carry you on her back, right? Didn't she used to do that a lot while you were young to 
basically take care of you by herself as a single mother with uh, gardening and all of that? Yeah, yeah, we had limited financial means because there must have been a time, maybe kindergarten or pre-kindergarten, where she wanted to not give me away to babysitters or <laughs> neighbors. And she must have stopped working altogether. And since our income was very limited, we had to, she had to be a provider to us. And yes, she had a garden she tended to, but the garden was like crazy far away. And it was really like a, a two or three hour walk one way. And she would carry me on her back, walking to that garden. Um, Luxembourg has, in the northern part of the country, has very hilly terrain. So lots of valleys and going down and going back up. And she, during the summer or whenever you have to work a lot in the garden, we would that make that trip daily. Yeah, she de definitely sacrificed a lot to, to be there for me. Shout out to Blanche. All right, so fast forwarding back to boarding school. So you're there. How long is boarding school again? Seven years. Seven years. Seven years of boarding school. Can you imagine? No. <laughs> so what were some incredible memories that you have that really helped to shape those years that you carried with you, even up to your entrepreneurial days? Oh, wow. So many, because the boarding school was located within the walls of an old monastery that was built and attached to a, an old cathedral. So it had this amazing setting of medieval awesomeness and there were secret tunnels that led into the cathedral there were lots of it was very big also and I had these 80 almost like brothers these 80 boys with me and they all we had you say 80 yeah wow. Yeah, and the dormitories at the beginning, we were up to 30 boys in one dormitory. So every night was an adventure because they did a lot of things, but not sleep. So In my head, I picture like the Lost Boys just having fun in a dormitory like Peter Pan and making all of these adventures and yeah. tents and Legos or I mean, I guess you were older than that, but. So there were a lot of shenanigans going on where I usually was a quiet observer. I was never like the ringleader or anything, but it was still fun observing these things. Like they would, obviously those tunnels to the cathedral were boarded up, but then the boys would like tear down the boards and go <laughs> into the cathedral late at night exploring stuff. And it was just fun. Um, I will say from a standpoint of entrepreneurship I started I realized hmm I have 79 
boys in this boarding school and most of them struggle with mathematics and the French language and I actually understand that very well and the problem was that the educators there were supposed to give tutoring lessons but they were either understaffed or they didn't have like they had more disciplinary actions to take care of (laughs) yeah anyway i started tutoring had all my students right there within reach and it quickly developed into a small business where i believe let me see um yeah i started out with like 15 euros an hour that i charged and i had probably um up to 10 hours per week you know and this was in the 1990s right yeah so this isn't like so i'm i made a lot of money as a 16 year old because i was tutoring and my students did make improvements and then it carried over into the weekends because we did go home over the weekends but the parents were happy that the grades improved so they asked no, what are, are you doing differently? You know, those educators help you a lot. No, no, there's this other student who helps me. And then they, uh, the parents asked me to come over uh, on the weekends to work, to help prepare for tests that were the following week. So basically working on the weekends to you is nothing new. Oh, no, <laughs> not at all. As soon as I had a car... All I did was I toured, I literally toured the country. Now, Luxembourg is not big, so it's about 80 by 40 miles, roughly. But on weekends, I would drive those 80 miles from north to south to go and give give lessons. And you know how it is. You have one influential parent in a, in a village, and they say, oh, I have this awesome tutor, and I just conquered entire streets like that, where... I, I really made good, good money as in my tutoring. And I took that money and reinvested it into very advanced calculators because I had, I, I, I gave mathematic lessons and a lot of the problems that the students had to solve required many calculations where you had to use graphs and find intersections and all of that. And I didn't have time to always go through all the steps to verify whether their result was right or not. So I I used these advanced calculators that most people even nowadays wouldn't know how to use, I believe, to check whether their final result was right. So only when it was wrong, I would take the time to actually go through the whole process step by step. So I reinvested into uh, calculators and I, I was very professional I had a, a uniform I had business cards and I always dressed the same I had all my utensils my equipment was branded because it, it mattered uh, um, unknowingly the parent to the parents I had a brand a personal brand so um, yeah, that's where my my love for entrepreneurship definitely started. I love that. I love that story so much because you are really truly being yourself and you re-fortified your own education by 
basically nonstop going through math, going through French. And to this day, you're very strong in those subjects. And actually, when you came over to the U.S., you were still tutoring. Is that right? Yeah. Well, to this day, I have... Um, it's nice when I look on Facebook and even on LinkedIn now, I have my my old students who now, you know, have jobs and careers. That's nice. But yeah, you're right. So when I came to the U.S., I, I, I felt the need to continue tutoring because I actually enjoyed it a lot. So before I started making websites, I actually had a business called Tutorch LLC. I remember that. Yeah, that was uh, about tutoring. And in certain regions of the United States, um, you can make a good living if you get um, if you get certified as a nurse. And it is something I I believe that you can invest relatively decent reasonable amount of time and pass some exams and then you are a registered nurse and you make you make more money so a lot of people decided to make that upgrade to their careers like, so you help people with their portfolio and their profile and yes. their resumes by continuing to help them advance with continuing education yeah, so I didn't tutor the students at university because they had a they had free access to tutors. But I tutored the community, uh, like 30, 40 year olds who wanted to, mostly all of them wanted to pass those tests for nursing. And well, so it was a lot of statistics again and mathematics. So this definitely shows up in our business because I know that when you're dealing with tech and IT and you are helping troubleshoot on the phone or through screen sharing or even just recording videos, it's like you are you use the language that they understand, which is sometimes difficult and it's a skill for sure that you have just been perfecting over time. So I think that that is also one really strong thing you bring is that you're not someone who's just skilled in what you do you're someone who understands how to transfer that skill transfer the knowledge because you've been doing it literally for decades and in this age of diy do it yourself everybody that gets a certificate in six weeks is supposed to be qualified to to transfer their knowledge we know that's not the case because there's a lot of people who spend thousands of dollars to go to universities and have a professor that can't teach, for example. So I think that that is something you should certainly recognize if you're listening to this and understand that Shankar has been doing this for a very long, long time yeah. and seen results. That's a good idea. I have started this new program, socialmediacontentmaster.com which is really way more than telling people what they should post on a daily basis. Yeah, it's that too. But since we meet every day for half an hour, I get to teach a lot and I have started doing that. I'm not just giving a content prompt, but I'm teaching something about either time management or marketing or visibility, something along those lines. I basically have a lifetime worth of experience of knowledge transfer. 
Absolutely. And if you're hearing a waterfall in the background, it is because we are at Hotel Menger that has been around since the Alamo has been here, basically. Yeah, since 1889 was when the hotel was established. But I believe that uh, our audience won't hear the fountain because of the good microphone you got us. Well, awesome. In any case, we're here in San Antonio, Texas, in this beautiful Mexican garden outside, right next to the Alamo at the Hotel Menger. I want to tell a fun fact about how I got to know the Hotel Menger. Tell a fun fact. All right. So I love going to the sauna. I love going to the sauna. But here in the United States, it's very difficult to find saunas the way we do it in the United States, uh, in Europe. Most of the time when you find a sauna here, it's not hot enough or people at gyms kind of use it more like to get warmed up. They go in with the clothes and yeah, anyway. So I came to San Antonio because I really wanted to live here and I thought to myself such a such a historic hotel must have a good sauna. So I came into the Hotel Menger reception and I said, do you have a great sauna here? And the clerk said, no, but not too far away, there's the hotel, the Mokera Hotel and Spa, and they have a great sauna. And you can tell, you can tell them that I sent you. So off I went to the hotel, Mokara and Spa, and I asked, hey, do you have that amazing sauna? And they sure did. So I went in, enjoyed the sauna, came out, and Philip was the supervisor of the sauna. So I told Philip, listen, I'm so grateful that you have this sauna here and that you have it at very high standards. Everything is clean, it's hot enough, you have water, you have fruit, you have nuts, you have a room to relax. And he was so happy. He said, you know what, here's my business card. I write something on the back of the business card. You can come to the sauna for free whenever you want. And that was actually in effect for about two years. Then he took a new job. But I could walk in, and I'll show you that hotel tonight. I could walk in whenever I want, and the staff just said, okay, good evening, Mr. Poncelet. And I walked to the sauna, had my session, went to the, and it, this is a luxury hotel, went to the relax room, got hot, served hot tea, fruits and nuts. And yeah, that is how San Antonio welcomed me. And was it not for the great clerk at Hotel Menger, I would not have known about the Hotel Mokera Spa and Sauna. That is so sweet. <laughs> Let's go and see if we can still test it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's no longer. That perk is gone. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know if you come through San Antonio Hotel Menger or if you're downtown or you're next to the Alamo and what your favorite feature is. We hope that you have enjoyed this episode and stay tuned for another. Absolutely. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.